Uh, we're looking today at a very familiar passage. We're in Exodus 20 for those who might be visiting with us who aren't in the quarterly regularly. Um, Exodus 20, everybody knows that's where the Ten Commandments are found. Uh, so it's a very, very familiar lesson. Um, did you know, according to Jewish um, traditions against the Jewish scholars, they say there's really over 600 commandments in the Old Testament Scripture um, that we're supposed to live by. Uh, so when they narrowed it down to 10, that, for me that's good. Ten's my, that might be more than I can remember most days. I think I can remember all 10 today because I've been studying this a little bit. Um, but, you know, there are days when I know I can't even come up with all 10 on the list. But if I had to come up with over 600, I'd be in real trouble. Um, but uh, these 10 have become uh, um, more important than all the rest, not just because they're sort of a summary of all the rest, um, but because they were important enough that God put them in his scripture twice. He put them in Exodus, and he puts them again in Deuteronomy, um, where Moses gives them again as they're getting ready to enter the promised land. Um, and so, you know, anything that God decides to mention more than once, once ought to be enough, but more than once, uh, deems it as pretty important. Uh, and so that's how we've settled on this idea of the Ten Commandments, a good round number. Um, but then I, Jesus also gives credence to the Ten Commandments because he refers back to them quite often. Um, in the uh, interaction with the rich young ruler in Matthew, or Luke, I can't remember, one of them, um, he says, um, you know the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. So Jesus specifically lists you know, some of the commandments. I mean, so he, he's giving credence to what the commandments are. Um, and we'll get back to the rich young ruler in the end of the lesson um, to see how he responds to all that. Um, but, but Jesus acknowledges the, the legitimacy of these Ten Commandments um, in his teachings. Um, he also summarizes them uh, in, in a, a way that just brings it down to really two commandments. Um, in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the great and the first commandment. And second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On um, These two commandments depend all the law and prophets. So we could stop right there, right? Any questions? That's it. That's the Ten Commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. That's really all it is. Um, you know, so... We're not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to define each of the Ten Commandments. I'll go through the first half um, more so than the second half. Um, but this, that's the breakdown, the summary, really, of all that the Ten Commandments are telling us. Um, it's broken down. The first four deal with that relationship with God, how to love God, um, what our love for God should look like, what our worship for God should look like, and then the last six... Um, how we deal with each other, with our parents, with our neighbors. Um, um, and so that breakdown that Jesus summarizes in two commands um, is, you know, is a summary of all that we need to know about the Ten Commandments. So my question, do they still apply to 21st century Christians today? Do they still apply? Absolutely. Um, now, the second part of them, the, the, what I would consider the moral law, the don't cheat, don't steal, don't kill, don't you know, lie, um, those are pretty universal, although not necessarily in politics, but universal in most places. Um, that you don't want to, you know, the moral law, everybody would tend to agree with us 
you know, that these six, the last six commandments make good sense and are appropriate for life. Um, the first four that deal specifically with God is the only place we would ever get argument, and that's just because they don't believe in our God. And so why would they worship our God that they don't believe in? But specifically for the Christian, all ten are, should be followed, should be lived by uh, even now. Um, you know, in Deuteronomy 4, this is before the, the commandments appear in Deuteronomy 5, as they're getting ready to enter the promised land, Moses tells the people, keep the commandments and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? So Moses kind of declares before he gives them the law the second time that there is no law like this. There's no law compared to this. Um, it is the best law anywhere, and it should be. It's God's law, right? It should be the best law anywhere. Uh, makes perfect sense. Um, but in today's world, that's not still the case, is it? For most people, this law is old, and it's not applicable anymore. Uh, and so it, as people who are believers in Christ, as followers of the Lord God, it still does apply to us, and it is still the perfect law, the only perfect law. Um, so as we look at this, I really want to just answer a couple questions. Um, one, and I think we all agreed from the get-go, the law is still applicable. And two, why did God give the law to Moses in the way he gave the law? Because there is always the argument about the covenant of Moses being a covenant of works. That you have to keep the law in order to be saved. And that's not true. So let's, I'll read right through the text here real quick. In Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live your life, may live life, may live long in the land of the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So. We start in the prologue, the first couple verses, 
this is a common thing in, in ancient Egypt, in, I mean, in ancient Near East, in, in the times of Moses. Before you entered into a covenant, you kind of restated, here's where we are today. Here's where our relationship stands today. Before we enter into a new covenant, here's our relationship and where it stands today. Uh, and so God, through Moses, tells the people, here's where our relationship stands today. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God reestablishes the fact that I am your Lord, your God already. So before I give you the first commandment to follow, understand who I am. Um, If you go back to Deuteronomy again, in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, Moses wrote this from God. He said, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any of the people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So if you, you know, as Moses elaborates on it there, you see it's more than I'm your, it's declaring I'm your God. It's a God who has chosen you out of all the peoples on the earth. God has chosen you. He has decided to make you one of his own. He had decided to make the Israelites his own people. He decided to call each of us as individuals to be his own people. He showed his love to us before he ever issues the first command to do anything. Um, And so that's the key that we need to recognize that it's not God saying, I'm not going to love you until you do all this stuff. It's God saying, I have chosen to love you, to set my love on you. And therefore, your love response to me is in the form of keeping these commandments. That's what your response should look like. Um, So it's first the principle of love and devotion from him and the request for love and devotion from us. Um, In the garden, the first commandment to Adam and Eve was not Don't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. The first commandment was, eat everything you want. I've blessed you with everything you'll ever need, but don't eat this one fruit from this one tree. So he didn't first say don't. He said, I've showered everything out there for you. I've created the world for you. Just don't eat this one tree. Eat from this one tree. Uh, And that's the same thing that God always does. He always loves first, and then he demands our response. Um, In the New Testament, Paul described our response this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But again... We're not called to first to make ourselves living sacrifices. We are first introduced to God's living sacrifice. The fact that he first sent his son as a living sacrifice to take on the punishment that we deserve. And once we recognize and place our faith in that, then we respond by making ourselves living sacrifices. So it's always God acts first and then demands response second. Um, 
So it's just, that's the, the, the pattern for how God wants, to under, wants us to understand these commandments. It's not about thou shalt not. That's so often what we hear, thou shalt not. And that's not what it is. It's I did it, so now you just love me back. And that's all he's asking for. Um, so in looking at the, the Ten Commandments, Commandment 1 in verse 3, you should have no other gods before me. Um, whenever I see a statement like that, my first question is, um, well, if you shouldn't have any other gods before me, are there really even other gods? Are there other gods? Is there another god like God? Is there other gods that we could choose from? Or is there a selection that we could, be, we could make from somewhere else? And I don't think that's the image at all. Uh, I think the image is more, um, there are no other gods. There is but one God. And there are other gods that we develop in our own minds. Uh, again, if you go back to Adam and Eve, their thought in eating that fruit was, we can get back some of the control that we don't have because God is God. You know, we, if we eat that fruit, we can be like God. We can, we can have some of that power back for ourselves. Uh, and I think that's the, the same thing we do even still today is that we want to get some authority back in our own lives. And so we try to make up gods, um, you know, that, that then can satisfy the needs that we think we have that we don't really want to give out to somebody else to have to satisfy, to trust God to have to satisfy. Um, so when he says, have no other gods before me, he says, I don't want a divided loyalty. I don't want you to have to come up with anything else to meet your needs. I'll meet all your needs. Um, in Matthew six twenty four, he said, no one can serve two masters for either he hates the one and loves the other or he's devoted to the one and despises the other. You cannot serve God and money. And money is one of those examples of a God that we create for ourselves, that we think we need in order to survive. Um, but it's not all-knowing. Money's not, you know, omniscient. It can't see everything. Money is not even eternal as much as we'd like to hope when we get ready to retire that it will be because we know we need it. Um, but it's not. Um, the only thing that's eternal is God. Uh, and so when you place your faith in money to meet all your needs... God sees that as divided loyalty, and that's the first commandment. The second one deals with the idols. Don't make carved images or any likenesses. Um, in Moses' day, the people that occupied the promised land that they were going into worshipped idols. Uh, and in Isaiah 44, he writes a good little bit there about what an idol is. Uh, it's something that's man-made, which means it can't be very powerful if it's man-made. Um, and it's uh, most of the times it's you take a piece of, you take a tree, you cut it down, you take a piece of section out of that tree and you carve you up something beautiful and you look at it and say, that's now my God, we're going to worship that. And then you take the rest of the tree and you burn it for firewood and it becomes ashes and you think, what made that little one section of that tree so, so critical that it could become a God? Uh, and that's how silly it is that, uh, you know, Isaiah points out how silly it is that man-made gods um, exist and, and they have these images that they wish to worship. Uh, and then a lot of times they, they form, uh, fashion metals into images of great animals who have great attributes and we all marvel at the uh, attributes of some of the animals and, and, you know, but God has all those attributes, the power, you know, the speed, the strength, whatever you need that you can find in an animal. God created all that and has all those attributes in perfect fullness. So why would you ever worship something and say, you know, this represents my God um, because of whatever attribute it might have when God has that attribute 
and eternally more than anything else he's created. Um, and God, in fact, created the only image that we really should ever look upon and worship. Uh, in Colossians 1.15, he, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's it. That's the only image that God has ever created of himself. We otherwise have no idea of anything of God except what Christ showed us when he came to earth and lived. Uh, and that's the only image um, worth worshiping. Commandment number three. You shall not take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Um, now, growing up, of course, that always meant to me, my parents would say, you can't say that word. Um, you know, and I'm not so sure that that's exactly what it means. I don't think it has to do a, a whole lot with cursing um, and, and using the word like that. I think it has more to do with the idea that I'm going to declare something based on God's name because I'm going to try to give it some added weight because I say God said this um, when it's not necessarily true. You know, you need to be careful to go to Scripture. When you start saying God has shown me something, you better be able to back it up with Scripture. Um, you know, that, that's the only way to know for sure that whether God said it or, or showed it to you or, or helped you to understand it. Um, you know, so that's the, when you take the Lord's name in vain. When you really just say, you know, well, God has told me something, 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 and it's not able to be found in Scripture. Um, that's, that's taking his name in vain. Uh, commandment four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, nor you will your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore be the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Holy meaning set apart, different, unique, special, uh, a time of rest, a time to uh, give to the Lord. Um, of all the commandments, this is the one that I think has gone by the wayside the most in the 21st century, right? Nobody takes the Sabbath seriously. Um, you know, businesses run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I know I'm part of that business world. Um, and, and I'm just as likely to get a call on a Sunday that will go to work as I am any other day of the week. Um, you know, so the idea that um, we set the Sabbath aside specifically to rest from our labors and focus on God um, is not something that the world looks at and says, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Um, Dr. DeGweed uh, in the teacher's guide wrote a big dissertation here um, on his response, because he asked this as one of his application questions about the, you know, the Sabbath. Should we still honor the Sabbath as commanded in today's world? Um, and here's his response. He said, since the rest of the Ten Commandments clearly apply today, and the Sabbath is a creation ordinance that predated Israel back in Genesis, it seems on the face that it's likely that the Sabbath still applies to Christians today. It's likely, DeGweed says. I, I would have said it applies. I wouldn't have even gone to limit it. But he said it's likely that it applies. Why would we not want to keep a day where we can step back, rest from our labors in order to worship God, along with giving rest to your neighbor? Isn't that the sort of thing we should want to do all the time? How kind of God to give us a day when we can be free from nagging guilt about setting aside everything else for him. We should delight to pursue the Sabbath principle, even if we don't think it is binding as a law. 
In fact, that is part of the problem. When many people think about the Sabbath keeping, they think of thou shalt not have any fun. But that's not what the Sabbath is all about. We need to think of it as a positive command and rest ourselves and give rest to others. And then the idea suddenly takes on a whole new image. Um, So my feeling is that we should honor the Sabbath. The demands of this world don't agree with that. uh, And we got to strike a balance somewhere. Um, But I think it's important that we recognize the uh, you know, that God is due our worship and he's due our uninterrupted, unbothered worship um, when we're letting the rest of the world go for a little bit. Um, fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Um, God established family units, He, Adam and Eve. Um, you know, that's how he intended for us to live. Um, so we should honor our parents as a blessing from God in our lives. Um, the reverse is also true. Parents should honor their children as a blessing from God on high. So um, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. And most of these in the second half are you shall not murder. Um, human life is, is created in God's image. Um, in Genesis 9, he warns us, for, and for your life blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The fact that we are made in God's image makes us something special. And that's one of the most amazing things about what Bethany's been through is that opportunity to hold that little baby at 18 and a half weeks when she delivered him and see that's, that's a baby in the image of God. Um, If there's anything else in this world that I cannot stand, it is abortion. And when you go through what we went through, you can't, it's even worse. You cannot imagine why people would kill something like that. Um, You know, it's just amazing. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, You shouldn't break your covenant with your spouse. God's a covenant covenant keeper. He expects us to be covenant keepers as well. So um, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you should not bear false witness against your neighbors, which is the same as stealing one's reputation when you're telling lies about them. Uh, And I'm sure there was not a political ad out there anywhere this season where you thought there might have been a little false witnessing going on. I don't know. It's hard to tell because I think there's 98% of it's false witnessing, so I don't know. Um, and then number 10, you shall covet, shall not covet your neighbor's house, not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Um, which also, that last commandment could almost serve as a summary of all the commandments um, that have to do with our relationship to others. Um, because obedience, you know, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Um, these are, you know, outward actions that we are to, uh, not, not to do, Act, outward actions that we should abstain from. Um, and then number 10, covet, is kind of like the inward motivation for those actions. And what God is saying is you shouldn't covet your neighbor's house. You know, you're not going to go, you may never go steal your neighbor's house. But if you covet it, it's, you're just as guilty. And so the, the concept there is that of all these commandments I've given you, um, if in your heart you're, you're violating those commandments, you're violating those commandments still. Um, so back to my original question. I don't have any idea where a clock is on the wall. So, um, you know, does the law still apply? I think we agree. But how do we rectify this, the, the debate between the covenant of works 
that most people say Moses was given versus the covenant of grace which Abraham gave or was given uh, and which we received through Christ. Um, you know, Romans, Paul writes a lot about, uh, you know, this how do, we, how do we live for him, you know, let not your sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Um, for sin should have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. And in Romans 3 he said, do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So Paul says twice right there in Romans, um, do we throw away the law? By no means. Um, so obviously the law is still applicable even though we are definitely under grace. Um, you know, in Matthew 19, back to this rich young ruler that approached Jesus, there's this one most critical question um, that should be asked by everybody at some point in their life. Um, a man came to Christ and said, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And it's funny, I read a, a thing that um, um, MacArthur wrote this week about this very question. He said in his however many years he's been in ministry now, 50-some years, he said nobody has ever asked him that question. Nobody's ever come up to him and said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And that is the question, right? That's the only question that matters. What do I do? What can I do? What has to be done that I can have eternal life? And Jesus starts out with the response, knowing the heart of the man, he says, well, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And so he says, which ones? And Jesus says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, you know, he recites those commandments back to him and says, this is the only way is to live perfectly according to the law that you can have eternal life. Um, but then in the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, he says you need to give up your everything. Go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, and he walked away miserable. I can't do that. I have so much. Why would I ever do that? Um, and so the, the concept here is, um, you know, how can I have eternal life? And the question is, did Moses tell the people, you know, did God tell the people through Moses this is how you have eternal life, to work for it, to keep these commandments? No. What he did was he said, I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you up out of Egypt. I'm the one who have called you to myself. I have showered my love on you. I will shower my love on you for all eternity. Just love me back. Just love me back. And you work out that love through obeying his commandments. First um, John 4, 7, I'll give you a few more scriptures. Um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So in order to love, we have to be born of God. Otherwise, we don't truly love. Uh, in Galatians 5, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And he says it again in his letter to Timothy, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart of good conscience and sincere faith. So we can only love because God has saved us. And then our love is, is a demonstration of what? Our faith. We're living out our faith. So the law that Moses gave 
to the people. It says, believe God is who he declared he was at the beginning of this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. I am the Lord of God who called you into this relationship. Believe it. Have faith. And your response will then be a loving response to your neighbor, a love toward God that you otherwise could not have. Um, Romans 8, 3 through 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could never do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Does it end there? The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Not that God declared, you know, universally that the law has been satisfied. He declares that the law is satisfied in us individually because of what he did at the cross. And then those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit in love. So by faith in him who died for us, who was raised from the dead, um, our faith is lived out in loving God and man, God and neighbor, God and enemy, God and whoever. Um, that's how we live out the law. That's what the, 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 the covenant was with Moses. It was never a works covenant. It was the same covenant that was given to Abraham that we have through Christ Jesus. It is fully faith through grace or faith by grace um, to love. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Anything? Let's close in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, again, just thank you for your word. Um, this is a very familiar passage. Um, most of us probably could recite the Ten Commandments. Um, but it's so good to be reminded to understand that your call for us is just faith. Love through faith. And Lord, so I would just have hope that you would encourage us in that effort, Lord, as we seek to live out our lives, Lord, that we would just love in faith um, because you chose us and loved us first. Again, Lord, just thank you for who you are. Go with us as we gather to worship this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.